Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning, and welcome to Green Left Radio for another week. And I'm just lining up some music, because I reckon we don't play enough music here at Green Left Radio. So this week, that's that's changing. We're going to spin some tunes, because tunes are festive. Uh, Yeah, the election, what's going on there? Uh, the latest count that I've read is that the coalition are up to 74 seats, Labor are up to 66. Uh, as we've seen yesterday, uh, Malcolm Turnbull's been talking with Bob Catter, and they've apparently cut a minimal deal. Bob Catter won't block supply or support votes of no confidence. But he said, if you come at the trade unions, I will withdraw my support from you, which that's at least something. Um, yeah. So the count continues. And I think Labor are ahead by a few hundred votes in some of the other seats. So, yes, yeah, it be interesting to see what happens. Alright, at this point, I'm going to play some Tribe Called Quest, because Tribe Called Quest are very, they're a very good band. That's, yes, that's that's just how it is. Um, yeah, and one of the singers from Tribe Called Quest, Fife Dog, he died recently from, I think, liver complications relating to, um, yeah, having diabetes. So, that's very sad. So... If you're out there, Fife Dog, this one's for you. Love your work. Uh, props for a life well lived. Alrighty, well, uh, welcome, Dennis. Yes, yes. I think today's uh, well, t- uh, on, t- on today on today's program, we decided uh, to go a bit a, a bit more casual, just as uh, the Green Life Radio crew and uh, the majority of the Australian population is slowly detoxing from the result of the federal election that was held. <laughs> Uh, over the uh, on the weekends, uh, uh, so we thought we, uh, we thought we'd would start off with that particular item in the news. Mm. Well, it certainly looks like um, it certainly it certainly appe- uh, uh, at first at first glance it certainly appears that the federal election result of 2016 uh, appears to almost 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 replicate the results that we saw with the 2013. Federal, sorry, sorry, with the 2010 federal election. Mm. Uh, so, the, so the there's the uh, there's obviously obviously um, uh, with the current uh, allocation of seats between the two major major parties, it is it's quite um, evident that neither of them would be able to form a majority government, and instead will be will be forced to rely on the, on on the minorities there. Uh, I think just uh, just last night we've seen we received word that uh, Bob Carter is willing will be willing to support a government of Malcolm Turnbull, mm. uh, while the uh, the uh, the last uh, seven seats, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, are still being uh, held in suspense without uh, any, without without. Um, mm. I read a story in the Australian Financial Review this morning uh, online, and it said that the. Liberals are up to 74 seats. Yes. And I think there was five remaining seats that were too close to call. But of them, Labor were ahead by a few hundred, by sort of three or 400 votes in mm-hmm. four out of those five. Yeah, so yeah. it's looking like 
it's probably still too close to call, but it's looking like probably Liberals 75 seats plus Cutter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Labor 70, and then those other independents and Adam Bant. That's right. Yeah, the, the, that's right. So um, we are, look, uh, we are look, looking at the strong possibility of the, of, the re, of the return of the Liberal government, although in a much, in a much more reduced uh, form and uh, uh, political power. Hmm. But I think uh, one, um, well, one, but one unique aspect of uh, the federal the federal election campaign that happened happened this time has definitely been the role of the tr- the role of the trade unions and the, the very you know the very prominent role that the uh, call the so-called we union campaign has played in uh, actually in actually in, in, in campaigning in all these uh, marginal in all the marginal seats uh, around, around the country. The uh, <coughs> although the com- uh, although the campaign uh, specific, specifically advocated for putting the putting the liberals last, hmm. it was also uh, uh, it, it did uh, I feel like it did um, uh, a part of it part of it was definitely two channel the uh, you know the, the you know uh, the sentiment uh, the, the sentiments towards uh, vo- vo- voting for either Labour or the Greens whatever you know. Uh, whatever the, uh, uh, the you know which wh- whichever seats were targeted uh, in the campaign there, um, mm. I, I feel like it's it's kind of hard to tell exactly how much just how much that strategy would have worked or uh, whether whether or not it's actually resulted in the toppling of uh, the different different uh, liberal uh, liberal MPs. Mm. Yeah, I saw some analysis on um, Sally McManus. I think she used to be a was it national secretary of the ASU. I think so. Yes, yes. And I'm, I think she's now with the ACTU. I'm not sure if she's wearing a ASU hat anymore, or if she's now just wearing an ACTU hat. Not 100 percent sure on that. But yeah. I'm friends with her on Facebook, and she posted some analysis which said. That um, yeah, of the of the swing against the Liberals, that swing was bigger mm. in the seats where there's been that uh, the union campaigning happening mm-hmm. on the ground, doing no, no, calls. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like there definitely there definitely would be a we definitely would see a much bigger swing against against the Liberals in the seats where the where you actually saw the uh, the black and orange clad uh, trade union activists knocking knocking indoors and uh, explaining just how well bad to say to put mildly the uh, liberal national government has been in last uh, in last uh, few years mm. but i think just uh, just just to return for a moment for the entire campaign leading up to, uh, leading up to the election i feel like um, it needs to be, it needs to be said that uh, it it's it's felt it felt it felt like the like the two major parties and actually the greens as well for the for the matter it felt it felt like the the debates and the uh, the whole issues discuss, discussed was so completely alienating from the vast majority of the of the of the population they did not feel like their their voice was re- really being represented mm. and i think this is why we are now seeing the rise of uh, We've now seen the, the rise of uh, people like Xenophon, with uh, uh, Xenophon, and uh, also also uh, say Darren Hinch and Pauline Hansen. Mm. Um, that that the, the whole change in the in the way that the Senate was supposed to vote was supposed to vote that was supposed to you know it was basically supposed to divert. It was basically supposed to crush the micro parties and divert the vote away from them to the major parties, but. Apparently, what, what it has really done is to actually just, you know, divert the, uh, divert the, um, uh, the votes towards, uh, you know, sort of this, uh, cele- this celebrity anti-establishment right-wing uh, candidates hmm. that we've seen. Yeah. Um, I, well, <clears throat> I, I don't think that the, the growth in the vote of Pauline Hanson can purely be put down to the Senate changes. I think yeah, it's yeah, also course. Reclaim Australia and oh, yeah, all those various right-wing no, yeah, certainly. fruitcakes yeah, um, yeah, 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 mobilising yeah. that sort of Hanson is the 
intellectual reflection of that. Mm, no, definitely. No, no, that's the thing with it. And um, <clears throat> it's. I, th- I think I think with it, with this election it was uh, I, f- I feel like we were we were we were basically uh, it was basically almost like also like a test for the far right movement to see which one of their parties or movements was gonna um, uh, basically was gonna emerge mm-hmm. as as the as the elected elected represent- representative. And it's and it turns out they they may have they may have uh, they may have selected well one of the worst possible representatives for their movement. Someone. <laughs> what are you saying that there's good representatives out there for, uh, the, <laughs> for the fascist far right? Oh well, actually, well, to, oh, to, oh, to be honest, uh, thing the uh, <laughs> there is well, let's say there is a a good way of representing fascism for the fascists, and then there's a bad way. Mm-hmm. See, a good way, if we, if we let's take if we take the example of in somewhere like Europe, a good way of representing uh, fascists would be somewhere in places like Austria or the Netherlands, or um, even I'd say to an extent in France, where 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 you where you kind of see these uh, really you know respectable someone puts a respectable face on this. Yeah, respectable yeah. face on uh, on the racist ideology that exactly. channels exactly. working class discontent into really mm-hmm. uh, nasty directions. Exactly. So maybe maybe a word "good" wasn't uh, wasn't that appropriate. Yeah. Uh, successful, <laughs> successful is what a, mm. is the word I was looking for. Yeah, and certainly a lot of what I've read sort of looks back at when Pauline Hanson was in Parliament 20 years mm. ago, mm. and uh, evidently she's quite gaff prone. Indeed, indeed. She's very good at uh, saying um, saying things that are fairly fairly silly. Yes, and since and I'll say since nineteen and since nineteen ninety eight, I believe we'll have there's been a whole uh, well has a whole lot of these recorded gaps, which uh, well provide I think will provide almost ultimate uh, an, almost an infinite amount of ammunition for. Movements, movements like ours to fight against her and bring her, bring her down again. That's the thing. That's, that, that's the thing. The far right has cho- uh, the far right has chosen to to uh, has chosen the woman who who ha- who has been crushed before due due to her racist and bigoted news, and who will certainly be uh, crushed again. Mm. Not and. Th- and uh, two, mo- two more important things to point out there as well is uh, one is, is that um, I feel like I feel like the bigots in Australia, especially those who support Pauline Hanson, they can no longer really claim that they are not racist anymore mm-hmm. when they when they whenever they criticize Islam. Uh, since uh, so since uh, Hanson sp- uh, spent the very the good part of her life life uh, you know. Campaign against the Asian, Asian and African immigration mm. for, uh, uh, throughout the, throughout the time. So now, now there is now there is now there is a real a real possibility and a real um, uh, a real well they, well they've always good, had good reason to unite. But for the Asian, African, and the Muslim middle and mid- Middle Eastern communities to really to really unite together against this symbol of evil hmm. that's coming from the north. True that. All right, uh, might just go to a message from our sponsors. <laughs> yes, you're on 3CR, it's Green Left Radio, and yeah, Lynn Beaton. I didn't really know Lynn myself. I grew up in Newcastle. Uh, but I do know Lynn's daughter, Chloe, because she was one of the main organisers of the Coburg anti-racism rally uh, a couple of, well, it's a couple of months back now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really sad news mm, about Lynn's a... passing. So well. if you're someone who knew Lynn or uh, was aware of her contribution to the left, uh, yeah, there's that memorial happening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, we were just we were just discussing the results and the repercussions of the Australian federal election, and I thought I thought it would would be a good time to um, to actually to actually talk a bit about the social, the campaign that which Socialist Alliance uh, ran 
uh, throughout well throughout the, a few weeks uh, a few weeks before that. Uh, now we don't I believe we don't quite yet have the exact numbers that such clients has re- has received in the upper house or in the or in the lower house, but I thought it was important to highlight a couple of a couple of a couple of uh, quite uh, good campaigns um, that were run in Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, in the, I think in New South Wales, probably one of the biggest highlights was definitely the um, the Senate uh, ticket featuring Uncle 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 Ken uh, Canning, mm. which uh, became which became quite prominent throughout uh, I think throughout the uh, uh, the whole the whole uh, campaign time. And just in the in the in the green left uh, issue, um, just before the uh, just uh, right right before the election, uh, can run a, can run a, a fantastic uh, column which I, which highlighted the um, exactly well not just his, well not just his own, not just his own electoral positions but just what a lot of us on the uh, a lot of us on the revolutionary left really f- really think and feel about about the elections i'll just read i'll just read out a few uh, lines here <coughs> i first oh, that's uh, so ken writing here i first started marching in 1966 and my uncle phil emmanuel a wolfy and a member of the communist party of australia told me that the people's movements are only as strong as they as they are united Governments have not evolved. Their mentality is the same as the people who got off the ships in 1788. That mentality was to keep the convicts, their own people, as slaves. They're treating workers as convicts, as slaves. It's the same people who have said we'll not give Aboriginal people rights. While we evolve our ideology, they have been stagnant for 228 years. The only thing that's different now that they have d- better suits and dental plans. <laughs> Social line slogan for a people's movement means that we will support anyone who is oppressed by government policies. It's time for all oppressed people to join forces to fight these bastards. They're not politicians. They're gutless cowards because they pick on the most vulnerable people. They're on the United Nations hit lists for their cruel treatment of asylum seekers, First Nations people, the environment and the people with disabilities. That's who, that's that's what we are fighting for. Let's stand up and fight together. We can beat this government. Well, so that's pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, I, th- I think um, I think probably, probably Uncle Ken's uh, campaign, his own election campaign, has probably been one of the most prominent that such lines has has run for a while now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Chris uh, Jenkins over in Fremantle. Mm. Yeah, he did uh, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So from from what we're hearing, the, uh, the the he actually managed to double the first uh, pre- the first preference vote in the uh, f- the socialized pre- first preference vote vote in uh, he ran in, was in Perth or Fremantle, so I can't recall. I think it was Fremantle. Fremantle, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so one point six percent. Instead nice. of 0.8, it's not bad. Nice. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, my Italian wills was a bit more modest. <laughs> um, but there was a, a whole bunch of other sort of progressive single-issue parties running there who, who ran pretty good campaigns. Uh, we had the Sex Party, Renewable mm. Energy Party, Drug Law Reform Party. Animal Justice. Animal Justice Party. So mm, yeah, yes, a few indeed. different people. Socialist Equality Party. Well, we don't talk about them. <laughs> Um, yes, so I think like the thing that really stood out for me though is mm. as socialists, our uh, political impact is not just measured in uh, votes on polling day and outside of voting time, obviously we're campaigning in the streets and mobilising around different issues. And the, the prominence of the equal marriage issue in this year's federal election campaign, like literally a couple of days out from the vote, you had Tony Abbott trolling Malcolm Turnbull saying, mm-hmm. oh, you haven't been sort of uh, rattling the cage enough about border protection, blah, blah, and you've mm-hmm. allowed equal marriage to become a major election issue. And I think that it's actually because the majority of the population support equal marriage and because there's been a 
a really sustained campaign that's just built up and built up over the last decade or <clears throat> slightly more than a decade and I can remember when um, I can remember being at, at Socialist Alliance conference or meetings and, and hearing from comrades who are campaigning for equal marriage saying that they were having trouble getting the Mardi Gras to support equal marriage as a, as a demand at the Mardi Gras so uh, we've come a very long way since then and it's something that's now supported by um, a slab of the Liberal Party and most mm. of the Labor Party, the Greens are very supportive of equal marriage. So yes, yes. to me, that's that's an example of the impact of socialists outside of the ballot box. And mm, absolutely. It's the years, I think decades, decades of activism and, and campaigning, which has really, really brought, da- brought down the homophobic, well, homophobia certainly is, 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 exists and will exist regardless of whether equal marriage passes mm. through. But yes, yes, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Zayn. It was, it was the decades of, of activism on the ground which finally, which finally crushed this whole, uh, anti, which crushed this mainstream anti-gay, anti-gay and homophobic uh, mentality mm. that, has been, that, has been, that has been persistent uh, here. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that those other ongoing campaigns around workers' rights, around climate action, getting refugees out of detention, mm-hmm. sovereignty treaty, uh, I think those are ongoing campaigns mm-hmm. that are grinding away. And yes. I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that as we keep pushing those issues, we'll have breakthroughs like has been the case with equal marriage. That's right. Although with the, uh, in, the, in the case of the... Uh uh, the, the campaign for the, for the treaty for the for the for the treaty that all uh, that is that has also been let's say in some ways appro- appropriated by some of the by, by by the mainstream establishment parties through their campaign for the recognition so to speak in the con- in the con- yeah. in, the con- in the constitution so it's, it's almost like um, I feel like it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, it, it it really is. I feel like it, it, it's the attempt to institutionalize a mm. a very a very a very serious issue of uh, of inequality that has existed in Australia such mm. a such a long such a long time and really mm. sort of denying. Uh, basically, it's 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 way it's a way of shutting up the indigenous movement here mm. in, in Australia. It's a, it's a way it's a way of um, uh, you know basically si- basically silencing. The indigenous uh, activism and, and silencing any attempts at really uh, at constructing, you know, a real a real movement for the for the for the complete for the complete change in uh, the relationship between the First Nations of Australia and and the, the political establishment uh, the political establishment in Canberra and mm. the, the country as a whole. You are listening to Green Left Radio. You're on 3CR. It's Friday morning. Uh, I'm Zane. That's Dennis. We were discussing we were discussing the, real, uh, the outcomes of the Australian federal election and the, uh, in particular, the social science campaign um, uh, in it. Ah, thought, I thought uh, I thought it would be a good time to move on to uh, other news that have happened in Australia in in the in the meantime in the last uh, in the last week or so. And I think we would start. We would start in uh, Melbourne, where there's where we have got a few featured. There's a few featured articles here about about the need for cli- need for climate action and uh, renewable uh, the transit towards uh, renewable energy. So Dylan uh, Dylan McConnell writes uh, here. Uh, Victoria's renewable energy, the shift towards clean um, uh, the, the, the clean energy target. The Victorian Labour government has announced an ambitious and achievable Victorian renewable energy target of 25% by 2020 and 40% by 2025. And uh, while the details are still fleshed out, it's uh, basically based on similar mechanisms to the ACT scheme, that's, um, which has managed to sidestep the uncertainty. Um, in the, that's plagued the renewables energy in the recent years. And the ACT Deputy Chief Minister Simon Corbell called Victoria's announcement a game changer. Uh, and according to the, the key motivation for a decision identified by the Victorian Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio was to re- restoring confidence needed to invest. So it's, um, 
I feel like it, it's certainly it's certainly sort of a welcome step that uh, we don't that finally we don't have uh, a year uh, no wait, oh, sorry a, a government or at least at least a, a state a state government which uh, well wants to block wind farms that wants to block completely exactly exa- exactly so it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a jump from uh, from from the from the days of uh, Ted Bailey and mm. uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Napthine. <sighs> although, the, although this line about you know restoring confidence needed to invest, hmm. feels like you know it, it, on on the on the other hand side it it's, it feels like it's uh, you know it's it's also an attempt to apply as we've uh, said a few times uh, free market mechanisms hmm. to a problem which cannot be so, which uh, which has been um, created through free market mechanisms hmm. at the same time. Yeah, I think um, that's an ongoing struggle for the climate definitely, movement yeah. is to try and think about climate not in terms of the market and emergent, in inverted commas, green capitalists versus old fossil capitalists, mm. but to mm. think about it more in terms of just we need to get rid of coal and yes. we need renewables and there are other ways of doing that than through market forces. Exactly. S- such as where all the existing fleet of power stations come from, which is public investment. Mm. Um, at the same time, though, at the same time, though, uh, we have we have seen sort of, uh, some of the other states committing to similar uh, to similar similar targets. So this, like the ACT, aiming for 100% uh, renewable energy by 2020. Hmm. Which would actually, which uh, I must say, social science has been campaigned has has campaigned uh, for years for a rapid transition towards 100% renewable energy. Australia, Australia wide. So yeah. I think we'll be curious to see. Just uh, yeah, well, it's that. not that hard to achieve for mm. the ACT because it is yes. a fairly small population centre. Yeah. So they don't actually have to build a vast amount of renewables to hit that target because it's, it's just a little kind of mm. city of quarter of a million people basically and a mm. few little towns around it yeah yeah but even, even having like a city of that size run from a renewable energy i feel like even that could be mm. just even if a way to say, saying that this could actually work this could actually work like this is uh, this has been this has been the problem which the uh, the climate skeptic movement and uh, the um the the corporate fossil fuel industry has been throwing uh, has been throwing against the climate ch- climate uh, action climate ch- climate change movement mm. saying that this uh, this transition is not feasible in any in, in any way possible mm. even if climate change is real and so and instead instead what we should that we uh, what we should do is uh, you know uh, spend 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 our money on uh, uh, buying cars that uh, run o- ra- that run off a household socket or something like that. Mm. Um, also, also good to mention. South Australia announced the 50 percent target by 2025, and Queensland's 50 percent target by 2030, as well. So, um, what does uh, so Dylan continue, continues to write here? What does the target really mean for coal? Um, Victoria has always been a major exporter of electricity in the national electricity market. Mm. And it's uh, in 2014, 2015, it uh, generated more than 55 terawatt hours. Terawatt hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I really suck at uh, at TWH. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Zane. I exported over over eight of those, and generally Victoria exports to South Australia, New South Wales, and Tasmania. So it's unli- it's unlikely that Victoria will substantially increase. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's exports. It's uh, has it basically has a very limited ability to do so. Uh, sort of the other states are becoming more uh, independent in the energy production production through through the through the renewable uh, so through the growth in the renewable energy mm. uh, industries there. Yeah, as everyone puts solar panels on their roof, it's really uh, shaving the um, need for. These coal-fired power stations, mm, mm, definitely. And I think I think one more thing that's important to mention that's uh, that's not that's not in the article. That it's sort of as part of the um, as part of Victoria's uh, new renewable energy target. The the state the state government has initiated um, 
has initiated new funding and, gr and grant schemes for community uh, en renewable energy um, uh, projects. I think it's to the tune of about $300 million worth of, worth of grants and, mm. uh, and, and, and finance. Which brings us to the to, to an up, to an update of one of our one of our favourite uh, uh, favourite cooperatives that has been has existed here in Victoria, Earthworker, mm. which myself and Zane have been a long time members and supporters of. Mm. Uh, Earthworker, well, well, Earthworker has um, was uh, well, it, it established uh, well, Earthworker established uh, the the worker-owned factory back in uh, back in last year in. Dandenong South, um, through the uh, through the cooperation with a private business called Everlast, and even though Earthworker was producing was actively producing water tanks and um, selling uh, solar uh, solar hot water uh, systems to low income homes and uh, small businesses, uh, schools, and uh, other places, um, there has been there has been a bit of a change in. Uh, uh, in the uh, there's been a, there, a few changes have occurred uh, since then. So Earthworker has um, has actually um, moved now has now moved out of Dandenong South and is on its uh, is now in the process of establishing the factory in Morwell. Hmm. So the real sorry <coughs> fulfilling the original plan or the original desire of the uh, of the Earthworker founders to uh, to to begin. To begin re-establishing re mm. a renewable energy industrial base, so to, so to speak, in one of the most, in actually one of the most depressed economic regions uh, in, in, in the country, in, or, or at least in, at least in, in Victoria. Mm. Yeah, the uh, Hunter region's not yeah. faring much better too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, throughout the coal boom, a lot of the workforce in the Hunter region was um, encouraged and successfully encouraged to associate their own fortunes with that of the coal corporations. Mm. Yes. And what some of us on the left were saying is once the, once the party's over, once the boom finishes and the coal price goes down, these companies are just going to walk away. They're not going to stick around and reinvest some of the big pile of money that they made out of the boom in making sure that people got left after, uh, in making sure people get looked after. And sure enough, uh, now that the coal price has gone down, coal mines are shutting, there's been mm. a lot of layoffs in the Hunter Valley. So, yeah, to me, it really underscores the importance of initiatives like Earthworker mm. Mm. that are very consciously geared at creating alternative employment mm. in those big fossil fuel, in those big coal regions. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think with Earthworker, we've really tried to find a model that works based on kind of like worker-to-worker -worker solidarity, mm, mm. people buying hot water systems through trade union agreements, getting it paid through their payroll so they're not going, you know, they're not having to fork cash out of their own pocket. It just exactly, kind of yeah. comes out of their pay. Uh, but it, there has been some struggles along the way, and it, and it does raise the issue of the importance of state investment, the importance of the government stepping in, I, I think. So certainly at this stage, I think the goal is for Earthworker to be a, a sort of self-perpetuating initiative. Mm. But at this early stage, I really think that some government investment, like out of that $300 million that you talk about, yes. is, has turned out to be pretty crucial to keep the project kicking along, really get it, get it moving. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right. Um, uh, moving uh, moving on, on now. Um, the sort of in, in the lead up to the election, um, lead, in the lead up to, to the election, we um, there's, there's definitely also been. Like, uh, I, th I think I, I feel I feel like in the in the throughout the election campaign, federal election campaign, there's actually barely really even been a mention, or, or, or climate uh, climate action or climate change hasn't really even be, been the topic. For the uh, for the election at all, regardless, um, you know, mm. uh, despite the fact that um, you know, it's the biggest issue facing mm. the world, Australia and the world, uh, there. However, however, uh, here uh, Kerry Smith writes here in the Green Left Weekly, a whole, a whole, num a whole number and range of uh, prominent Australians who are calling for emergency climate action on whoever, whoever end up winning the federal election. 
So more than 20 prominent Australians have called for emergency scale action on climate change in an open letter to the new, to the new parliament. Uh, signatory, signatories include uh, business leaders, scientists, former Australian of the Year, Nobel, and Nobel laureates. Um, it's part of the growing campaign by coalition of more than 20 grassroots climate action groups to pressure political leaders to step up and do what is needed to address the climate uh, crisis. They aim to use the alarming spike in global temperatures in February and the bleaching of Great Barrier Reef as the impetus, impetus, sorry, uh, to insist that leaders stop playing political games on climate and draw in a line in the sand. They're calling on the newly elected parliament to immediately declare a climate emergency. Mm. And the tune of Bon, of bon, of bon Jovi's song, John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi's song. We, we're gonna we're gonna discuss some of the latest union news and union and what's been happening in the world of striking workers. It's been going on. Well, well, as some listeners as some listeners would know, the workers of the Carlton United Breweries have been striking for the last uh, couple couple of weeks for. For fa- for fair conditions and for the for the company yeah. to stop 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 cutting down the workforce and then rehiring them on a with a 65 percent pay cut. Uh, the old contractualization push, eh? Indeed, indeed. Um, I um the 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 um, the workers actually covered by some well, actually two of the most two of some of the most militant trade unions in the country. The Manufacturing Workers Union and the ETU. So mm. I think I'm not sure the Carlton Real Breweries knew exactly who they were messing with when they <laughs> when they started this uh, Step on up if you're dumb enough, Carlton United. <laughs> uh, the rally, the, um, the the Manufacturing Workers Union and the ETU held a rally over at the uh, CUB headquarters. Um, I think just uh, just month just uh, this this Monday, and I got a chance to be there. I had a had a nice nice chat with Craig Kelly, the Assistant State Secretary of the MWE in Victoria. So far, says uh, the MW members have stood up to corporate attacks with twin protests on both sides of the nation. And the sacked brewery workers in Melbourne rallied to the head office um, on Tuesday. Assemblies from down, well. Sorry, the, um, uh, one of the one one of the main uh, sort of uh, points there there has there has been that uh, well, <laughs> for the uh, one one for the comp- for the companies for the company to reinstate reinstate the hmm. um, giving their jobs back yeah I think those were on, on EBAs on under the yes exactly under the, uh, fair, the under the EBAs that the workers de- that the workers deserve the uh, <coughs> they're halfway there they're living on a prayer <laughs> they'll get they're their jobs there. back oh yeah don't you worry about that Alright, enough of that. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, one th- yeah one, the, one th- the one thing I feel like the uh, a lot of the corporate, um, well, the corporations that deal with uh, highly specialized skilled workforce don't seem to understand is that this is that when uh, when skilled uh, skilled workers like uh, like uh, expert fitters, electricians, and uh, you know and assembly line workers. Like the ones at the CUB uh, breweries, when they when they choose to strike, bringing the the scab- bringing the beer supply down, <laughs> bringing well yes, bringing the beer supply down, which makes everybody angry. <laughs> uh, also, well that well that also basically basically means that it's 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 extremely hard for them to actually bring in the scab labour. Mm. As well, I mean, it's not it's not really easy to find. Yes, yeah, like there's a critical mass of skills there. Exactly, and exactly. once those skills are withdrawn. Mm. Uh, management's position as uh, kind of unskilled people at the top in charge is kind of laid bare. Yes, mm. yeah, exactly. So uh, the, uh, the Manufacturing Workers Union and the ETU have been maintain- maintaining a community, p- community rallying picket line over at the CUB factories in uh, Abbotsford. So mm. if you... Uh, every day, six every day. six. Exactly, exactly. Barbecues, good times, go and meet the workers, show your support. 
Yes, and on July 11th, in fact, um, they will be having a solidarity breakfast over on the over on the picket line there in uh, Abbotsford. So yeah, was that Monday morning? That will be Monday morning. Yeah, yes, cool. over at from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. So over in South. Uh, Hampton Cres at Abbotsford, the Carlton United Breweries uh, factory. So if you're one of these workers who may start at like 9am, somewhere around the city, somewhere around Abbotsford, Richmond, somewhere around there, drop in, have okay. breakfast at the picket, yeah. show your support. Uh, get a sack, throw in a, throw in a few coins, or yeah. donuts for the, str- yeah, the, stri- for the striking notes. workers. Yeah, uh, yeah Absolutely. One thing, one thing Craig Keller also mentioned that there's been an enormous amount of support coming in from other unions and just, uh, just the community uh, in general. Like CFMU is, well, you know, CFMU has, uh, has, has been, uh, is, is always great at supporting its uh, comrades across industries and, uh, across, uh, across, across the states, but there's also been quite a few, uh, community initiatives over in, uh, Richmond and Abbotsford. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the, uh, the morale is pretty high. It's running pretty high with the, um, with these, with these, uh, with these workers. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Alrighty. Una momente. You are listening to Greenleaf Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Greenleaf Radio is brought to you by the Greenleaf Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Greenleft Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Welcome back. Uh, we thought we'd move on to international news uh, there, there for the moment. And I thought I think I think it would actually be a good idea to once again start off in Britain, the well, UK, anarchy in the UK. Indeed, in in uh, indeed, or as I as I like to call it, well, you know, the whole phrase United Kingdom is probably now one of the most confusing and misleading names <laughs> for a, for a, for a country anywhere <laughs> in the world, really. Yeah. Um, in Brit- well, the, the, uh, Britain, uh, the UK has been really been a real, a real mixed bag this uh, past this past week or so. Uh, so, well, saying, do you want do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first from the UK? Mm, hit me with the good news. All right, good news is is that uh, Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn has very much sought off the right wing coup that's been, that had been initiated by the uh, Blairite uh, members of uh, Blair Blairites. Um, uh, parliamentary uh, members uh, and uh, MPs over in over in West Westminster, as uh, yes. the Labour Party member uh, Labour Party membership and the trade unions have rallied staunchly behind him and yeah. supported him throughout um, all the. Yeah, I read there was something like another two hundred thousand people have just joined the Labour Party or something. Yeah, that's that is that is correct. The Labour Party has joined more people in the last in the last two weeks than there are. Then there are members in the Labour Party, Liberal Party, and the Greens combined together. Wow, that is that's right. Let that sink in. Let mm. that sink in for the moment. If uh, a figure like Jeremy Corbyn can is is able to turn Labour Party, which basically up to his up to his leadership has uh, has effectively effectively been galvanized into being uh, you know the second pillar of the neoliberal uh, mm. uh, political est- political establishment is now actually being rapidly transformed you know, and did they uh, just uh, announce a policy of free higher education as well uh, well the well, Jeremy Corbyn himself himself uh, has supported uh, tuition free education throughout all, all, all his life and that was part of his platform mm. um, that has been has been part of his platform as label either for a ve- for a very long time, I'm not exa- I'm not 100 percent sure if they've just uh, you know officially announced it. Uh, though, mm. But if they did, I that's saw a sweet. story going around, and it's like maybe after securing Corbyn's leadership, they followed that up with an announcement that this will either be paid for by increasing a company tax rate mm. or by how, how about tax avoidance, crushing tax avoidance uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout uh, throughout the country. More importantly, though. Uh, 
sort of another big, bit, of, bit of good news coming from um, from the UK has been the Chilcot report. Yeah. And finally, fi- and finally, we might see the possibility of justice being brought upon the heads of individuals like Tony Blair, George W. Bush, uh, John Howard, and um, and Aznar in, Sp- in, in, Sp- in Spain for mm. the for the role that they played in the senseless sl- sl- slaughter slaughter of hundreds of thousands of, Ira- of Iraqis mm. and the, and the destruction of um, and there's the and the destruction of uh, stability and civilization in the in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, I saw the um, uh, sort of just uh, just when just before the report was released, I saw this absolutely absolutely wonderful video of Jeremy Corbyn leading the anti-war demonstrations back in 2003, mm. when uh, against the against the Iraq War. And uh, it, it always amazes me that Jeremy, how many times Jeremy Corbyn has been on the right side of history around mm. all these events. Uh, pr- protesting against uh, apartheid in South in South Africa, back in the uh, back, back in the 80s, uh, supporting the Palestinian struggle, supporting the um, the struggle for Irish Irish re- reunification, yeah. supporting the Kurdish struggle, supporting the miners' strike. Absolutely, all the big time, big time. Him being him being on the picket lines throughout mm. the uh, throughout this dispute there. Yeah, it's quite. It, I, yeah, I really, I actually cannot, I actually cannot believe that Jeremy Corbyn has, has made has made it so far. Uh, to be honest, as, as a labor leader, it feels like every, every day that he's been labor leader has been a, another uh, another small, uh, this, uh, a blow, uh, blow to the uh, hopes of uh, right wing and uh, and neoliberal establishment over over in the UK. Hmm. And just seeing how popular. Yeah, yeah, he has. He has When's the next UK election? Actually, are those well, three or four year terms? Five years, actually. Five. Five years, yeah. But this, uh, well, if, well, if Boris Johnson became the conservative uh, leader, which he won't now, there would have been an early election, actually. Uh, hmm. That seems like it's not going to happen. Um, it's also it's also quite a mystery of who who's actually going to lead the, the the Tory party after after October, since David Cameron will be resigning before then. But it's it's becoming pretty clear that Jeremy Corbyn is not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. So, mm. it could be it's a glimmer of hope. Uh, now to the bad news coming from the UK. Um, we've we've talked about the uh, in the last program. We've talked a lot about the uh, the rise of racism and fascism, which has uh, uh, which has kind of pe- which has perpetrated uh, Britain. Unfortunately, that's um, uh, the, the, the exact figure, figure that I can give you is about 57. Hate number of hate, cr- hate and racist crimes has risen by about 57 percent since the uh, since the Brexit uh, vote. From a few, a few of the uh, uh, sort of left uh, left wing uh, sources that have been, that have been reading, uh, coming from the UK, it really feels like it's not so much that uh, br- Brexit led to the rise of racism. It's like a, rather it's led to the outpouring of races of racism, which has kind of been kept kept bottled up. It's exactly. kind of like legitimizes taking your private racist views out mm. into the real world and mm. just openly, like, attacking people in the streets. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So in this kind of in this kind of climate, so it's all like sold out. Uh, sold, like regardless of you know of what happen, happens eventually, if, you know, whatever happens to Britain's membership, uh, it's it, uh, it's quite it's quite clear that. Uh, on the ground, the, uh, all of the anti-racism, anti-fascism uh, forces uh, across communities, trade unions, left-wing organizations will need to form a united, united front to, uh, to really to, and present themselves as the alternative to mm. all this to racism and fascism, which has been perpetrated by parties like the UKIP or Britain First or the um, or the or even or even the, even the, Tor- the Tory party, and definitely, definitely the. Uh, uh, the corporate murder, murder pre- press, which has, uh, which has, which has, which has basically been one of the one of the main, uh, well, which has really fed these views for t- for such a long time uh, mm. in in Britain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, sort of, uh, another side note of news coming from the UK: um, uh, the, the, the most prominent campaigner and leader of the of the Brexit vote, Nigel Farage, the, uh, the leader of the UK party, has resigned. Uh, good riddance. 
Well, good riddance, good riddance, but also, also, I feel like it also just demonstrates the cowardice of the of of, of the of the far right in in Britain, as it does basically anywhere anywhere else. You know, what I, the way I, the way I described the way I described it um, uh, was that uh, the the far right's approach to to the electorate or just to the British working class or the or the voters is uh, basically to scare them, screw them. Although I used a different word. And uh, and and run and run and run away while 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 everything co- collapses, hmm. you know. We've seen that with uh, Boris Johnson. We've seen that with uh, Nigel Farage. Them just uh, fa- just uh, completely refusing to take any res- any responsibility for the outcome hmm. of Brexit of, of of Brexit. And that's and I, f- I feel like this is what this is. I feel like this is actually this is this is a, this is a good learning experience for uh, for us in the anti-fascist and anti-racist movement. That not, 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 not only do the, do the far right f- constantly fear confrontation and fear like a real rash, uh, ra- rational and uh, uh, coherent anti-racist response. So you're going to say a real Russian? <laughs> not only do they fear <laughs> a real Russian. <laughs> well, we did kill 7 million Nazis <laughs> 70 years ago, so, you know. We might know, we might know a thing or two about, uh, about uh, wiping out fascism. Oh. But yeah, once once things start once, uh, going a bit pear shaped, exactly they they always run away. Do runner. They 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 always run away. They have, they 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 always stand on such on such a shaky ground. Hmm. Um, that's uh, but all, and also even when they when do when they do seem to seem to succeed in some in their ambitions, like like what the Q has successfully done in in Britain. Like even they they compl- they refuse to take any responsibility hmm. for for what happens afterwards, and this is uh, this is what we can ca- uh, this, this is what we can really sort of uh, catch them on. Is that there's a they they have they have absolutely no like, you know, no plan of action whatsoever for and they they refuse to take any responsibility for the future. What um, else is new in the world? Well, uh, with well, I thought I thought we'd uh, I thought this re- uh, I thought we'd read out this uh, story concerning the airport attacks which were perpetrated in Istanbul uh, yeah. on uh, June June 29th. The um, the uh, Kurdish the Kurdish-led People's Democratic Party, the HDP, actually released uh, uh, released a, st- a, st- a very well a very good a very good statement with regards to what happened. We condemn the attack in Istanbul Atatürk International Airport. Unfortunately, 36 civilians lost their lives and 147 people were injured as a result of this inhumane attack. We wish that God rest the souls of all, of all departed. We extend our condolences to their families and friends and wish the wounded quick uh, recovery. We witness a rise in attacks by organizations such as ISIS that know no boundaries and the aggra- aggravating results of those attacks. It is clear that further struggle and solidarity is crucial against ISIS, who commit crimes against humanity over a very large geographical spread. The governments who provide support for these organizations are responsible for, for the ease with which they, they can organize their attacks. It is our citizens who pay a heavy price of a wrong foreign policy in relations with the barbarian gangs known for their crimes against humanity. The results of the arms shipments and logistical support that has rendered Syria an uninhabitable country is threatening the right to life for all our citizens today. Those holding political power, whose foreign policy is a mere fiasco, keep sitting on their chairs with no shame and continue with their struggle to build one-man rule. Hmm. Well, I think it's. Uh, I think uh, what's. Uh, I feel like what's so significant about uh, about about this, uh, the HTV statements and uh, and the airport attack over in over in Istanbul. Like Kurds have uh, Kurds in Turkey, as many listeners would know, have been probably one of well, the most repressed minority in Turkey. So they would. So they would. Uh, they they would clearly understand and identify with the victims of uh, of the terror attack. In, mm. uh, in in Istanbul, um, but it's, uh, but that that line, th- this line about um, uh, the, is, you know the result of the arms shipments and logistical supports has rendered Syria an uninhabitable country, is threatening the, the right to life for all our citizens today. Mm. I feel like th- this this really helps to tie in uh, 
this, this really help, helps to tie, uh, tie together this connection uh, between terrorist attacks perpetrated by 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 ISIS and you know the war that uh, that ISIS uh, that ISIS has has waged in Syria and uh, Iraq. It's helped to tie that with the global arms industry, which has uh, which has which has been um, upheld and supported by countries like United States, UK, Saudi Arabia, Britain, France, Germany, uh, Russia, uh, others. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a direct link between the rise of uh, the extremist uh, uh, groups, the rise, of, the, rise of te- the rise of terrorist groups, and the governments which basically which create the fertile ground for them uh, through the you know through the through the invasions, through the control of the through the control and constant um, shipment uh, shipment of arms, mm. so that the the most vulnerable people on the wo- in the world can continue killing each other. And I think the, in this week, in this week of uh, the Chilcot report being being released, that's when um, uh, we've really seen. We, we, I think we're, we've been really reminded of uh, what really started off this whole uh, this whole this whole sort of chain of events in the Middle East. You know, the invasion, the, the illegal invasion of Iraq, hmm. and based on a lie. Exactly. Yeah. Based in light in pursuit in pursuit of imperialist ambitions and uh, the um, in, in pursuit of the contr- control of the most uh, valuable valuable resources mm. uh, in the in the world. But the weapons companies and the oil services companies they don't mind they mm. get plenty of cost plus contracts out of it. Yes. Now um, I'm moving on now to uh, to, uh, to Ireland, where there's been a very curious response. Well, there's been a very interesting response um, to uh, to Brexit. Uh, actually, well, we have we have we have a very good article here from uh, Anne Poblacht. I'm sorry, my Irish my Irish Gaelic is not uh, great. The Sinn Féin Féin position towards Brexit has been that that basically now is the great opportunity to to think of the United Ireland. Who dares to speak about United? Who dares to speak of fear of the United Ireland? And um, uh, Sinn Féin seeks to reshape the the Ireland of today. I've got Mark Maloney writing here to end past divisions and resolve outstanding uh, differences. The the sorry, what, what, what we, I, th- I think what we, what we really need to mention is that Northern Ireland uh, actually voted voted to remain and stay stay part of the European Union in the Brexit uh, vote. I think it was about like 63 percent to 20 to uh, 37. Hmm. Um, and and uh, this and, there, and as, a, as a result, there's been two uh, interesting. Positions which have which have emerged as a result of that. So there's like to being a unified vote across all of Ireland exactly. to, to remain in the EU. Uh, yes. Uh, so basically, unite unite Ireland around the issue of uh, well, around the issue of you know remaining part of Europe instead mm. of being instead of you know being even probably even being even more oppressed by the by the government of the United Kingdom in the, in the north. Uh, Sinn Féin President Jerry Adams called on all parties who support a united Ireland to get active on the issue. He said Republicans must grasp the opportunity presented by the Brexit crisis to redesign the constitutional and political future of the Ice, Iceland. Oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> Ireland. I don't want to say Ireland. And, uh, sorry. Sinn Féin seeks to reshape the islands of today to end past divisions and resolve outstanding differences, to build through reconciliation and, and a new partnership and unity between people, to pursue the happiness, peace, and prosperity, prosperity for all the people, to unite the orange and green. At the same time, though, um, the uh, what's curious is that the uh, the other the one of the main anti-austerity parties. Both in the north and the south, uh, the People Before Profit Alliance, which People, uh, People Before Profit Alliance, which uh, uh, which has been mainly run by the Socialist Workers Party uh, in Ireland, and in in Northern Ireland, uh, one of their leaders is Eamon McCann. Uh, those listeners who don't know, he's been a long-time civil rights activist in Northern in Northern Ireland, and one of the organisers of the uh, well, of the march that eventually became known as Bloody, as Bloody Sunday. Uh, their, their position, they actually, com- they also, they also actually campaigned for a leave vote, 
uh, for a leave vote in the Brexit elections because they believed that uh, one that one tying Ireland to the uh, to the neoliberal and racist project of the Euro- of the European Union was probably the worst possible excuse or the worst possible reason to unite the the north and the south. So basically, the, 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 position, the position was that uniting the north and the south under the under the, under the banner of European neoliberalism is no better is no better than remaining separate. It, it basically, it was no better than leaving the north the north of of Ireland at the mercy of uh, of, of British of British neoliberalism and and imperialism. There, yeah. Hmm. Ah. Now. Um, Moving, uh, moving on now to to uh, to, to Spain. Uh, yeah, we should uh, we should get to the activist calendar too. Pretty yes, soon. yes, indeed. I'll just, we'll just finish off with the international news section here and mm. get to the news calendar. Uh, there's been um, I think we mentioned this uh, on the, on the sh- on the show last week, but uh, the left wing the left wing coalition in Spain called United 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 Weekend or Unidos Podemos. Uh, did not unfortunately, unfortunately did not achieve the result that uh, we were hoping for in these uh, elections. Um, it became it came, came third in terms of votes and seats in special Spanish elections, winning 71 seats um, out of 350. The um, <coughs> uh, and we just to remind the uh, United Weekend has been has been formed as a result of uh, the uh, electoral pact between. Uh, two main left-wing parties in, in Spain. That's the that's the Podemos uh, party and the uh, and the United Left in the hopes of uh, hopefully cr- of, of creating a left-wing anti-austerity government over at the over in the Iberian, Iberian uh, Peninsula. Uh, Dick Nichols wrote a fantastic article here. So for those listeners who want to know more about the result in Spain, please do check it out on Green Left Weekly uh, in, in this in this week's uh, issue. I'm just, just, just briefly going to highlight some of the main uh, pro- uh, problems there. Uh, one, one was that uh, the, the, the massive media scare campaign has been run, run by the right-wing Spanish uh, media as, uh, has basically tried to portray the, you know, the ruling right-wing government, the People's Party, which I must, which we must mention has actually is basically a directly descendant from, uh, directly descendant from Franco's uh, fascist dictatorship. Basically, the media tried to convince the population that um, the, pop- the popular popular party is uh, the main. It would would be say the most the most the most stable force for the for the country against uh, independence and extremist movements. Uh, well, so sounds so familiar. Indeed, indeed. Vote for the right wingers for stability. Exactly, exactly. I'll say it's quite, it has been quite similar to the campaign campaigns run here in, in Australia in some in some ways. Uh, in, in some in some ways, People's Party has actually managed uh, actually managed to increase some of their votes since the last elections. Um, one one is by uh, taking the vote away uh, vote away from the other new other two neoliberal parties. That's the the as I say horrible, horribly misnamed uh, Spanish Socialist Workers Party and the then the, the right wing Citizens uh, Party mm. as well. While at the same time, uh, Podemos and United Left have actually failed to uh, have actually failed to uh, ensure that their members and, su- and supporters turn up, uh, turn up, galvanize, and vote. One, uh, as uh, Dick wrote here in, in the article, one of the well, the only way the only way we can ensure that uh, the left keeps succeeding in the elections and the left keeps succeeding in uh, Bringing about change is through constant, constant mobilization, mobilization on the streets, on the ground, and const, you know, a constant, um, constant organization mm. against uh, against against austerity and neoliberal policies. Indeed. All right. Well, I reckon we should get into a bit of uh, activist calendar now for the uh, for the announcements. So this week is the NADOC. Uh, well, having the the NADOC um, march, which is actually happening in about two hours' time. Yeah, 10:30 a.m. 10:30, 10:30 a.m. Uh, so at the Aboriginal Health Service up at 186 Nicholson Street, Fitzroy, mm-hmm. and marching to Fed Square for music. Yes, 
this uh, this, year, this year we're welcoming all people, councils, organizations, and businesses to come and come and march uh, with us. And just after the announcements, we're going to play a really nice uh, song to, uh, to help uh, commemorate that too. Uh, now, Social Alliance is holding a red cinema uh, this uh, th- this month on Friday, July 15th at 6:30. PM over at the Resistance Center, and we are showing the UK Gold. And that's the uh, McDonald's award-winning f- film. It shows Britain is at the center of the global tax avoidance industry. Mm. People talk a lot about Panama and the Cayman Islands, but mm-hmm. it's actually the city of London. London is the number one global mm-hmm. tax evasion haven. That's right. That's right. That's right. So come over to the Resistance Center, level five four seven seven four seven Swanson Street, Friday, July fifteenth. Uh, for at, six, at six six p.m. to uh, come and uh, have have a look. Word. The right. twenty-four hour protest for public housing is uh, is is ongoing over on um, at eighteenth Bendigo Street over in Collingwood, as the around two hundred sixty homes and seventeen commercial properties uh, acquired by the state government in preparation to build uh, were. Mm-hmm. So, so come, on, come on down and support the occupied uh, homes. Right. Uh, don't forget about the Carlton Brewery workers over in 77 South Bank Boulevard. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, over in um, yeah. over, uh, over, over in Abbotsford. And this, and fi- finally tomorrow, tomorrow there'll be two two more events. One is the mem- memorial meeting celebrating the life and work of Lane Beaton at 11 a.m. Brunswick Town Hall. And the rally to defend Latin American sovereignty, no to new operation Condor, happening at 12 p.m. State Library, Swanson Street, organized by Lasnet, and that's tomorrow, mm. July 9th. All right, uh, we're going to pay you about 30 seconds of some local knowledge, and then stick around for BZE. All right, thanks for listening. All right, thanks, thanks, comrades. Let's tune in same time next week.